Hi, my name is Stephanie Gibault, and you're listening to Transit Lounge Radio in Berlin at the 15th Disruption Network Lab event Dark Heavens Confronting Hidden Money and Power. It's wonderful to meet you here, Stephanie, and I hear that you have a story to tell of your own about confronting hidden money and power. I indeed am a whistleblower for the Swiss bank UBS, United Banks of Switzerland, and what happened is that 11 years ago already, 2008, I was asked by one of my managers to delete the content of computer items, computer files, uh, after a search that took place in the office of the general manager. And I was so shocked that I asked questions about the search and I was just snapped back, do what you're being told to do. And as I was busy organizing uh, an event with my colleagues in Switzerland, because my job was a PR, a public relation job, I did not really pay attention to the instruction I was given. I was like, but was going on a search in the office of the general manager of a bank as famous, as big as UBS, something terrible must be going on. What's that? So it was a police search or a kind of a, like who was doing the search? I guess, you know, even 11 years ago, I still don't really know. UBS was extremely quiet. Uh, we never had an official meeting or an email or anything explaining what I understood by the media those past 10 years is, yeah, it might be about the search regarding offshore clients and tax evasion. And so after this crazy story of June 2008, the following weeks, uh, my boss came to my office and asked me if I had deleted those files and asked me to delete the content of two archive um, cupboards. And I was so shocked that I never thought about whistleblowing. I never thought about corruption, about tax evasion, about money laundering. I only understood that they wanted to get rid of me. The question was, why? What was so wrong with me? Well, if we go backwards, 11 years ago, there was this crazy story in the US, the United States of America, with a, a massive UBS tax scandal. Uh, it took me a while, it took me weeks to meet colleagues, bankers, who explained to me that my job, because I was not a banker, because my job as a PR manager, organizing all these VIP events, such as um, private evenings in operas, you know, private concerts, boxes, tennis courts, you know, etc. My job helped uh, the French wealthy clients to evade taxes opening a bank accounts in Switzerland. And somehow I, I did not believe them because I had worked for the bank for almost 10 years because the bank in France, UBS opened in France when I joined the company. So I saw, I saw it growing bigger and bigger. I knew um, somehow the compliance rules and everything regarding you know, the communication of the bank. So I was extremely surprised saying that, but, you know, the bank refers to the Banque de France and we have the French authorities. And so I pulled a string and um, I filled in a complaint, a complaint against the bank. So, so wait a minute, I'm just untangling the events. So you had no idea there was this level of 
tax evasion going on? Like, And then at what point did you turn around and stop doing what they were asking you to do? Like, did you stop actually destroying the documents? Is this the point that was the sort of breaking point for for your relationship with the bank when they started to try to get rid of you? I never got, got rid of the, um, of the documents, nor did I get rid of the files, the IT files. So the IT files, this is like physical files yeah. they wanted you to like, like shred to the papers, delete, destroy, yeah. delete. Yeah, to delete from my computer. So I never did that. And I was totally petrified. Uh, one has to understand that this is so shocking that you leave. I don't know if you've seen this movie with uh, Tom Cruise uh, when he works for a big uh, accounting firm in the U.S., the firm? Yeah. The, the firm, absolutely. And uh, it's exactly this kind of atmosphere. Somehow you don't know what's going on. You understand that it's really terrible. You know you're part of it. But what I didn't want is to uh, have the police coming to my place at 5 a.m. And I, I was a single mother with two young kids by that time. And I, and I don't want the police to take me with handcuffs in front of my, my kids in pajamas. I, I was totally petrified. If I don't do what they ask me to do, then I may have a problem with the police. And if I do it, I will have even more problems. Because would the bank protect me? I, no, I, 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 I don't think so. So you are in a, in, in a corner. You, you don't know what to do. So the only thing I was able to do is, you know, in France, we are supposed to have the best labor protection laws ever. So I went to the Ministry of Labor and I explained my story to one of their inspectors. And I saw this lady for, I don't know, more than six months. And after six months, she said, but what you're telling me is so, so terrible. You are going to fill in a complaint against your employer. And I, w I was like, excuse me, uh, I am a single mother. If I do that, then what's going to happen to me? And I was answered. 11 years ago, well, we are here to protect you. And so they promised that they would protect you. And so had you already given them the, doc the documentation at this point? Not to the Ministry of Labour, no, no, no. But then, two years later, as I was uh, still at the bank, suffering a depression, suffering harassment, suffering retaliation, I'd been downgraded, my job had been given to someone else. Many people have said to me, but why didn't you leave? Why didn't you uh, resign? But the thing is that first I was in a state of shock. I went through a depression and I was sick all the time. And I was still expecting by that time that justice, that the state would do something. So two years later, 2011, I was on my way to Roland Garros, you know, the um, tennis tournament that takes place every year uh, in Paris, Grand Chelem uh, tournament, uh, when I received a call on my cell phone from a lady. And after a couple of sentences, I understood she was part of the Ministry of Finances, uh, Department of Customs. And she said to me, I would like to see you. And when I saw, I met her on the Champs-Élysées, and they showed me their um, cards with the French flag. They explained to me that they would follow me with teams of investigators at the Roland Garros tournament. And I was like, how come? Everything has stopped at UBS since I blew the whistle internally three years ago. Uh, now there are no Swiss uh, bankers on the events organized anymore. They do not come to the office and, you know, meet with their clients. And they told me, no, no, you're totally wrong. And this is why we're going to follow you. 
Somehow I was the fish, you know, catching, uh, catching big one, big fish. And indeed, during the two weeks in Roland Garros, four times I bumped into uh, Swiss colleagues who were attending the tournament with clients. Obviously, they were right. The fraud was not over. And after this crazy episode, they asked me, and when you are being asked by civil servants to do something, you cannot say that you don't want to, you know. If you don't want to give an interview, just tell a journalist that you don't want to speak with him, and that's it. But you cannot do that with civil servants working for the Ministry of Finances. You have no other right but obeying to their requests. So during a whole year, as I was an executive of the bank, I had to give them, upon their request, documents and evidence and pieces of information belonging to the servers of the bank. So they were basically asking you to spy for them? Absolutely, but... I was in a feeble state, I was a single mother, and I was totally petrified that I would be taken to jail because of those damn cheaters. Because you, even though you didn't know what was going on, that you would have been implicated through the work you were doing. Absolutely, because it took me a while to understand. You know, between 2008 and 2011, I had time to take home all the documents I was supposed to get rid of. So at night, when my kids were asleep or during the weekend when they were with their dad, I was looking through each piece, trying to understand what I could have been in without seeing it. This is what's crazy, is that, you know, here we're in the middle of the room, it's as if we are not seeing the walls. The first feeling I had, was guilt and anger against me. How come could you have been so stupid? And this is what so many people have told me at the beginning, like, well, it's well known, all the Swiss banks, blah, blah. If I hadn't done what I had done, how would you know? How would people know? When you actually have the courage to take a stand and say, this is not right, and it stops with me, I'm not going to continue being a part of this, then you are also putting yourself in such a dangerous position, I guess, because People go to jail for whistleblowing, lose their jobs, clearly. So, I mean, how were you treated after you, after you brought the case to the public attention and, and while it was, because I understand it did go to court in the end, is that right? Oh, well, it's, it's a, an endless nightmare. UBS took me to court first in 2010. I was still an employee and before the story with the Ministry of Finances uh, for retaliation, because they were telling everyone within the bank that I was making up a whole story, that I was a bit deranged, that I was a single mother, that I wanted lots of money, that somehow I was blackmailing them. So they were kind of gaslighting you as though you were the, the crazy person. No, but you, you get totally, uh, it's a destabilization. It's um, clearly made uh, for people to shut up. But you didn't shut up. Well, no. And then I had the customs on my back for more than a year. Uh, UBS made me redundant because obviously UBS has the means, security means, our private uh, email addresses, our private computers, our private telephones are being under surveillance by the bank. So I left the bank. I was, I was physically extremely, extremely feeble. It took me more than a year to recover. In the meantime, the story became public which is somehow good news because obviously uh, media are here to raise awareness and give information to um, everyone. But how did my name leak? Why did I suddenly become a public figure? I had blown the whistle internally. 
to all the managers, HR manager, CEO, general manager, uh, compliance manager, then the inspection du travail, you know, the Ministry of Labor. And then I worked for the civil servants at the Ministry of Finances. Who gave my name to the media? And obviously, who had given my name to the Ministry of Finances uh, two years before? So somehow, my story is the story of someone who was... Uh, Totally honest, you know, like any single mother who raises children can be knowing what's wrong and what's right. Well, uh, somehow I trusted everyone. I trusted the management of my bank. I trusted uh, the civil servants, uh, whether they are the Ministry of Labor and the ones at the Ministry of Finances. And somehow I got cold showers, colder and colder showers, because um, being at court to defend myself versus the bank is a first nightmare. Why hasn't the state been on my side? Or how come hasn't the state forbidden that to happen? Because on one side, they are able to say that this UBS file is 40,000 offshore accounts at UBS in Switzerland. 40,000 offshore accounts. Yeah, 12 billion euros. Now that you know UBS was at court uh, versus um, the French state, and the judgment was uh, published two months ago, and the fine the bank got was the biggest ever in Europe, 4.5 billion euros. Wow, that's amazing. So it did eventually come to trial, and they were actually found guilty of this. Yeah, we are talking about, you know, the past 12 years of my life, I have been to court, I don't know, seven, seven times. The bank still takes me to court because uh, my first book has been receiving a complaint for defamation. Even though the bank has this fine, they continue telling everyone that I am a crazy person. So it's crazy because psychologically, it's unbelievable when you live in France, which is the so-called country of human rights, not to believe in the justice anymore. Because uh, 12 years ago, I would have said that Obviously, justice would punish the tax cheaters, they would punish the bankers, they would punish the bank. And obviously, I would have thought that the French government would have helped me find a job. You need a job to feed your kids. Uh, do you think that this has shifted the, the narrative in terms of what people now believe about the kind of offshore banking, the tax havens, the way that these systems work? Do you think that your kind of story and the, what you've gone through has helped to sort of open that up to the world? After so uh, much isolation, uh, somehow I was totally desperate. And six six months ago, four months ago in France, we had the yellow vests, you know, the gilets jaunes. And the first thing they started talking about was tax justice. I was very surprised because somehow it was, you know, absolutely normal people I'd never met who were explaining that they pay too much taxes and they cannot feed their kids because taxation is too high in France. So hopefully, with the European elections arriving, uh, things are going to come to an end because our big problem is that we have a tax uh, paradises within Europe uh, that our Euro deputies do not want to talk about. They just change the words. It's not tax paradises, it's optimization, whatever. So from fraud, from evading, from optimization, they just play with the words. Mm -hmm. But I think that we have raised people awareness. They may have understood nothing from our stories. The pressure we suffered, you know, my dog was poisoned in my apartment. I had men jumping on me at the corner of two streets. One night I received uh, crazy letters, you know, pressure, 
you know, and then you, you have no incomes for, for years and you are being taken to court. I mean, it, it costs you a fortune, so you are totally bankrupt. And it's ridiculous and somehow I should not be alive anymore. So somehow the big hope is that, is that now the middle class has understood that there is something wrong and it, it's just about that. And I think once that the kind of multinational corporations have pressure put on them that they actually do need to pay tax to contribute to the societies that they take all the money out of, then hopefully that does have a, a, a real effect in an ongoing way. We can only yeah, keep working for what, what we believe is right and just, yeah. Absolutely. And this is why in my, in my second book, The Professor of Witch is written by Julian Assange, and we cannot be here today with you who's Australian without talking about Julian's situation in London, which is absolutely terrifying. You know, uh, London and the UK do not comply with uh, uh, the expertise of um, experts from the United Nations who have in 2016, so already three years ago, written a report explaining that he should be set free immediately. So we all have to stand up for freedom of speech, for freedom of expression, because as one person wrote on Twitter quite recently, as long as Assange is not free, nobody can be free. And this is interesting. Indeed. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. Sure, sure. Thank you so much. Thank you.